Well, good morning. I got to be the guinea pig for this stage. The tallest guy for the first Sunday we're doing it. But hey, my name's Zach. I lead our student ministry here. Before we get started, you can go ahead and make your way to John chapter 20. We'll be in John chapter 20 and 21. Those texts are also in your bulletin as you can pull those out. They'll be on the screen later if you don't have a Bible. There's a Bible also in the seat back in front of you. Um, before we get started, just a few announcements for our student ministry. If you have a kid in our student ministry, or a student in our student ministry, or you're looking to have a student in our student ministry, we have a couple of things coming up. This week we start a new series. We, our norm is to do a series, whatever you're, the whole church is doing. So we did the Life of David. We did um, Solas. We did the um, Parables of Jesus series. But this, at the end of the year, we're going to start a new series on spiritual formation and spiritual habits. So this week when we took at what grace-based obedience, grace-fueled obedience looks like, what it looks like to launch off the, the gospel into obedience. Then we're looking at like Bible reading, evangelism, prayer, all those things. We'll finish out the year. If you have any more questions about that, you can see me or Gabe's right here in the front. He can tell you about more about our middle school ministry. He's teaching the middle school usually every week. So have you more questions about that, want to get involved in that, come let us know. Also, we have summer camp coming up in June. If you have a middle schooler or a high schooler and you just want them to go to summer camp or you just want to get them away, I'm just kidding, for a, for a week. <laughs> but this camp is huge for us. and he, not, not saying we want to get everybody to camp, get them saved. Like, it's awesome. Sometimes God uses those events to camp. But here's, here's why camp's so important to us. Our students use, spend about 70 hours a year together. 70 hours in 52 weeks together. In one week of camp, they'll spend over 100 hours together. They'll spend one week more time together than any time the rest of the year. So it's really important that my, my prayer for our camp is our, our students become best friends. They spend more time together. 70 hours a week, 70 hours a year is not a lot of friendship time, is it? So our prayer is, is that they go to the camp and they hear the gospel, they have worship. There's going to be this huge trampoline in the middle of a lake that has like multiple levels of a slide off of it. They'll have a blast with that. But what, my heart is that they be transformed by the gospel and also fall in love with each other in friendship. So middle school is going to uh, Crossing Cedarmore. That's June 17th to the 21st. Our high school is going Crossing Jay Creek. That's the 16th to the 21st of June. So if you have any questions about that, fill out a Connect card, come talk to me or Gabe after the service, and they'll have more information about that, all right? So as, as we dive in this morning, I kind of want to show you three scenes. We're not going to read, read a one big passage. We're going to jump into three scenes in the John 20 and 21. So I'm going to pray, and then we can walk through these scenes, all right? Father, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the, the people you've brought into this morning. I thank you for this beautiful space to meet in that you provided us. Lord, let us just step into this and be encouraged by this. We, we are gathering together to hear from your word, sing about your word, and go tell others about him. And that's a radical thing to do each week. That's weird to the world. So let's step into that. And as you speak this morning, may you do a great work in us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we celebrated Easter last week, and, and we celebrate the risen, risen Jesus Christ. And he, he's, so he's rose, and sometimes I'm, I'm tempted to think, we just, he, okay, he's rose, then we jump to Acts, right? We see Jesus, he's, he's risen, then he goes away, then he sends his disciples on a mission, and they change the world. They literally transform the entire world. They, they turn the world upside down through gospel mission. 
And when we're tempted to, to think, just jump, make that leap, we, we miss the question. What happened? Like, how did these guys go from scared, running, denying Jesus, to an Acts 4, looking at the Jewish leaders and saying, I cannot not talk about Jesus. How did our disciples go from denying Jesus to radically following Jesus? Well, this morning I want to look at three different scenes and kind of show you how Jesus transformed the disciples to go on mission. How Jesus transformed our disciples, these disciples, to go on mission and be obedient and then kind of land where how God can transform us to be obedient to his mission. So scene one, we see in John chapter 20, we see that Jesus turns anger and sadness into joy. He turns anger and sadness into joy. Look at John 20, verse 11 through 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one on the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I do not know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord, and she had told them he has said these things to her. We see Mary at this scene, and she's, she's walking up to the tomb. She's probably maybe going to put flowers at the tomb or going to just mourn at the tomb. And she enters the tomb, and she sees the stone rolled away. Her, her friend, her king, her savior is gone. And she does not know what to do, and she looks inside, and these two angels chilling in the tomb. All they say to her is, why are you crying? Then she hears this voice behind her. She sees this man. It's probably dark. She doesn't recognize who it is. It's probably early in the morning. She doesn't see actually who it is. And she, she sees the shadow saying to her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Not recognizing his voice, he thinks it's the gardener. And you can see her tone become angry, right? Hey, have you taken him? Did you take my king? Did you take my Savior? Where have you taken? If you, tell, me where he, tell me where he is, and I'll go get him. Not recognizing who it is. Then what does Jesus say? Just one word. Mary. And, and we don't, you don't tell us what happens here, but Jesus' next response is, do not cling to me. Do not hold on to me. Which means she's clinging to him. She's holding on to him. She's hugging him. And it probably wasn't a Christian side hug. <laughs> she was clinging to him. 
her, her anger and sadness after hearing her king's voice say her name. It's like when you're in a public setting, there's tons of people. You can't really hear your, your spouse talking or your kid talking throughout the room. But when they say, Mom, or when they say, Zach, you know exactly who it is because you've heard it over and over and over again. She's heard her king call her Mary many, many times. Her anger and sadness upon hearing her name from her king turned to joy, and she's literally hanging on him. She's clinging to him. And this is a no-go for Jewish life, right? Like, you can't, you're not supposed to talk to women that you're not married to, much less be hugging women you're not married to. Mary and Jesus' friendship was so intimate that Gnostics in the in second century made up this lie that Mary and Jesus were actually married because it did not make sense to have a friendship that this intimate. If you've seen the Da Vinci Code, that's what it's about. A lie based on they can't make sense of Jesus and a woman being friends. Her sadness and anger turned into joy, but it didn't stop at joy, did it? What do you say? Don't cling to me. I have not left yet. So go. Tell my brothers. Tell my brothers I'm, I'm leaving soon and I need to meet up with them. Listen, this is, this is another evidence that John and the Gospel writers are writing a true story. That they based a testimony, the first testimony of the risen Christ was upon a woman. This is another no-go for Jewish life or even Hellenistic life. If you're writing a story, if you're making up a story in this time, you're not basing the eyewitness account on a woman. As cruel and, and, and uh, misogynistic as that is, it's what reality was in that time. And so, so if John's making this up, if John's making it up, he's not saying Mary told him first. But he did, which means it's true. He's not making this story up. There's so many stories in the scriptures that if I'm making this up, I'm not including this story. He included it. Her joy didn't stop at joy. Her joy led to obedience. Her sadness and anger turned to joy. Let's move to scene two in the next verse in chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, gained, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. You've got to ask, why wasn't he invited to the party before? Like, why wasn't he included in the last, the last meeting? And he said that the disciples told him that, that what they have seen, they've seen the Lord, and he says, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were in a house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. So scene one was, was Jesus turned doubt, I mean, Jesus turned anger and sadness into joy. Scene two is he turns doubt and fear, fear and doubt into confidence. Scene two, we see that Jesus turns doubt and fear into confidence. What are the disciples doing? They're in this room. They have the doors locked and they're terrified. They are absolutely scared to death because their king was just crucified. The person they've been following for years was crucified. They don't know what to do. They're terrified. They're in their fear. And Jesus pops up. This is where a lot goes, boop, boop, boop. And he just shows up. Like, you got to ask, did Jesus have this power before the resurrection? Like, he, could he just, like, pop up in the middle of rooms all the time? So he just pops up in the middle of this locked room. And what does he do? He shows them his scars. Put your hand here. Put your finger here. And he says, as the Father has sent me, he breathed the Spirit upon them, and the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Like this sending language is very churchy language, right? So we like we send missionaries, send church planners, send witnesses of the gospel every week in our benediction. But here's kind of the, the language Jesus is using here. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Which means, as the Father has sent me to die, that's the way I'm sending you. The fear they had just met with a reality. This is not going to be easy. So what happened is like, the reality is that all of these disciples died. Except for John, but he was just exiled to an island because they couldn't kill him. But all of the disciples died like Jesus died. So what happened to, to being in the room, scared to death, with the doors locked, terrified of the Jewish leaders, what happened when then, and in Acts 4, is I cannot not obey God rather than what, what am I going to do? I, I have to obey my king. So what happened? They've seen the risen, resurrected Jesus, and they have received the Holy Spirit. But think about it. Like, the, their fear was death, right? In that locked room, they're terrified. They're, they're scared that they might be killed like their king. And how does Jesus meet them in that fear? He shows them his scars. And what that says to the disciples is that the worst thing they can do to you has been done to me. And I'm alive. I'm alive. Me and Caitlin were watching a silly movie last night, Jumanji. It's decently okay, actually. And in the movie, they, they go into, not, if, you're, if you're like worried about these spoilers, I'm sorry. Um, this is a really epic movie, I guess. So... So in the movie, they, they get sucked into this game. It's not like the old Jumanji, which I think was better. Um, not the, old, the, the new Jumanji, they get sucked into a video game. You know, they have these tattoos on their arms. With these tattoos are the bars they have the, for their lives. They, so if they die, they lose a bar. They die again. They lose another bar, so they only have one life left. 
There's a character in there that he, he stays mobilized, he stays bunkered down because he only has one life left. He does not want to risk it. does not want to, to, to go to the next level because he's scared if he dies, he won't go back home. Well, that's, that's the mentality the disciples had, that they only had one life. And Jesus shows them there's another. I will be raised Just like I was raised, you will be raised. Just like I was crucified and had life after, you will be too. The resurrection changes everything because the resurrection gives us hope after this life. Listen, Christian, the worst thing in this life to happen to you is death. But that's not the end. That's not the end. Because actually the best thing for your in happen in your life, Paul says, is death. It's gain. It's reward. Jesus turns their fear into confidence by showing them his scars. But then he meets with Thomas, right? Like Thomas wasn't part, he was doubting. He shows him his scars. I love that he, he goes and he doesn't say, hey, just tell Thomas what I said. Or he, he needs to get over himself. Stop doubting, you moron. He actually says stop doubting. <laughs> but, but he shows them his scars first. He could have he left Thomas hanging dry, right? Just, you get over yourself. He pops in a room. And like, it's like nobody else is around. He's already talked to the disciples. Talk, guys, I've, I've talked to you like, Y'all doing y'all's thing. I need to hang out with Thomas. And he shows him his scars. Thomas ended up being one of the first missionaries in the area of what's called India now. He went from doubting to confidence and died a martyr's death because he experienced the resurrected Jesus. Jesus turned their fear and doubt into confidence. Let's move to scene three, looking actually in John 21. Jesus turns guilt and shame into peace. Look what happens here, starting in verse 15 of chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt when Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you, you know that I love you. You know, that I, that I, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. So what's happened between the last time the disciples met up and where Peter meets Jesus is they're on this, this fishing trip. They just casual guide trip out in the water, probably getting some, some fish to eat. 
And when they're out here on the ocean, on the sea, they, they catch a bunch of fish, which is symbolizing the fish they would catch in the gospel later. And then they see this man on the shore. They see you with a fire. And they recognize it's without a doubt, it's Jesus. Probably because this is the type of Jesus thing Jesus does, right? He has meals with his disciples on the beach. And in seeing them, Peter sees them. He, he fixes his garments and he dives right in. Swims to shore to meet Jesus. The only scene I can think of when I think of this, if you're a if um, you're familiar with Forrest Gump, which is the best movie ever. That's not a gospel, that's a, that's a gospel issue. That's not a wisdom issue. <laughs> the best movie. And the best, one of the scenes it reminds me of is when Forrest is on the shrimp boat. And he's on the shrimp boat and he sees Lieutenant Dan on the docks. And he just jumps off the boat, swims to the, to the shore and sees Lieutenant Dan and the, and the boat goes and wrecks into the docks. He just drops, Peter drops everything, he leaves everything, and he goes to his shore. And they have this meal. They have a barbecue. Just a side note, just a reminder that in in the mission of Christ, he has sent them, but it's okay to have fellowship and and a, a meal. Don't feel guilty for good times. So they have this meal, and then Peter and Jesus go to the side, and they have this conversation. What does he do? He asks them three times. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And in Peter's mind, all I can think about, and Jesus is intentionally doing this, is the three times in which Peter denied him. See, well, I think what Jesus is going after is the shame and guilt Peter's probably wrestling with. That, that the time he just denied Jesus, and he, he denies him, I don't know him, I don't know him. No, I don't know who he is. I'm not a part of that. No, no, I don't know him. And then the rooster crows and he makes eye contact with Jesus. The shame and guilt that overwhelmed him at that moment, he's probably still wrestling with. I think Jesus is, is meeting up with Peter to confront that shame and guilt. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He said, okay, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, take care of my sheep. Then he says, okay, good that you love me because where you, when you were young, you did what you wanted to. You dressed how you wanted to, you went where you wanted to, but when you go old, or if you follow me, if you go where I'm calling you to go, they're going to bind you where you don't want to be bound, and they're going to kill you how you don't want to get killed. What Jesus is attacking here is he's, he knows that shame and guilt will not get him there. Only peace will. Only peace will. Shame and guilt will get you maybe to a mission trip. It may get you to give money to the poor, but it will not get you the long run. Because you will run out of fuel. And you will be miserable the whole time. He wanted to attack Peter's shame and guilt to, to he, cleanse his conscience. Hey, I, I know you've done something really stupid, but I love you. He reminds Peter that on our worst days, we're more, just as much loved by God than our best. He still calls the guy who betrayed him 
the guy who denied him, to be his leader. That's grace. He needed peace in his conscience. Because this is just me. This is not maybe, this, this may be, be wrong, but maybe Peter jumped in the water first not because he loved Jesus most, must, m- most but because he wanted to prove that he loved Jesus most. Because he knows, that, hey, if I get there first, I'll prove to Jesus that I've, I've changed. I'll prove to Jesus that I'm different. I don't deny him anymore. I love him more. Because maybe that guilt and shame was riding on him day in and day out, and he needed to compensate for it. Jesus turned his pain and his, his, his guilt and his shame into peace. And Jesus died, Peter died upside down on a cross because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified like Jesus was. Jesus turned his shame and guilt into peace, and that peace flowed into love and obedience. Follow me. Die like I died. So what's, what's the call upon our lives in these three scenes? How do we get from, from fear, sadness, brokenness, to radical obedience? I'm going to give you two words to land on today. Restoration and renewal. I know those are very churchy, Christianese words, so they're actually grounded in Scripture. Anytime you see in the Gospels where Jesus heals somebody, it says their hand was restored or their sight was restored. You see in Acts, their, their sight was restored or their lamity was restored. You see in Romans 12, 2, you see, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed or transformation of your mind. Paul later goes on in Colossians and Corinthians talking about being renewed day in and day out. So I want to talk about restoration as becoming whole and renewal as becoming new. Restoration means on a personal level that we need healing. Some of us in here, if we're real honest, we have been bruised and broken and we have not healed from it. You've suffered a death. You've suffered a tragic illness. Your your spouse has left you. And you're, you're trying your best just to overcompensate with obedience and you're miserable. If I just if I serve in kids more, if I just go to church more, if I am more involved in the community group more, I'll heal. And that's not the way healing works. Listen, we say around here that that God gave us taste buds for a reason because it's good and glorifying to God to drink and eat good food and drink. But he also made tear ducts for a reason. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to cry. You need to heal. And it may not be all done and well before Jesus returns or you pass, but you still need healing. And my encouragement for you in your healing is to soak in the personal, intentional, empathetic love of Jesus. The personal, intentional, empathetic love of Jesus, that Jesus knows you by name. And and when he sends Mary, he says, go and tell my brothers 
that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. Jesus is not just our King, He's our brother. And He is our family. And when you pray to Him, you're not praying just to somebody on a throne, you're praying to somebody who loves you and knows you by your name. He is not apathetic to your sorrow or pain. He hurts. In John 11, where Mary and Martha saw their brother die, he, Jesus probably has never met Lazarus. But he sees the pain of his sisters, and he weeps. When you weep, Jesus weeps because he is your brother. So my, my encouragement is to see the personal love of Jesus. You're not just a number. You're not just a servant, and you're not just a citizen. You're his family. The empathetic love of Jesus means that we do not pray to a king or love a king that knows no pain. What does he do to his disciples? He shows him his scars. That in your anxiety, Jesus knows anxiety as he shook in the garden asking for this cup to pass. In your suffering, Jesus knows suffering. He shows you the holes in his hands. Will you not pray and serve a king that knows no pain? We don't. He empathizes with you. He knows what you're going through. And know the intentional love of Jesus, that, that most of these people did not seek Jesus out. Jesus sought them out. Because I know if I'm raised from the dead, if I pop out of the casket, I'm not sticking around the graveyard. I'm out of there. The people who kill me might come back. But he sticks around because he knows his sister Mary's coming. When the disciples are locked in a room, they're terrified. They do not go looking for Jesus. Jesus goes looking for them. And Thomas, in his doubting, he does not look to Jesus for his answers. Jesus goes looking for him. In your pain, in your sorrow, Jesus is coming to you. He loves you. Heal. It's okay, mourn. It's okay to mourn. Cry, it's okay to cry. Know the personal, empathetic, and intentional love of Jesus. Renewal for you looks like becoming a new person. We don't want to just become neutral, right? We don't want to come from brokenness to neutral. We'll become a whole different person. For you, that looks like the rhythms of your life. What are the rhythms of your life? You'll never go to obedience without renewal in your life. If, if restoration is rebuilding the house that's broken with a window shattered, re renewal is remodeling the house that needs improvement. How are you being renewed? Are you coming to church involving yourself in the liturgies of Sunday mornings? These things are renewing you each Week? Are you involved in a community group that, that people are speaking into your life and listening to your life? Are you, are you reading God's word on a regular basis? Are you praying on a regular basis? We will not get to obedience passively. We won't. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. What renewing are you doing? You don't want to just become fixed. You want to become new transformed by the power of Jesus. The Spirit has been given to you by the 
God himself. Jesus has sent his spirit as he sent his to, to, to the disciples. And he sent it to you. So when you're fighting sin, you have the resurrection power of Jesus in you. When you're struggling with conflict in your family, you have the resurrection of power of Jesus in you. Are you being restored regularly and are you being renewed regularly? And this isn't just personal. All this isn't just personal. We ought to step into public restoration and public renewal. That this world is broken, not just us. This system is broken, not just us. The world is groaning. There's brokenness around us every single day. With homelessness, and over 2,000 of our students that go to JCPS live homeless. 2,000. Orphans in, in our foster care system without homes. Brutality on our streets every day. Our system and world is broken. And we ought to step in. We are for justice. If we're not about justice, then we're not about Jesus. So we ought to pray for our law enforcement officers that are trying to do restorative work in our cities. We are empathize with our homeless brothers and sisters that are trying to get food. Maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're on the line of stepping into foster care or adoptive. And you just need a push. Well, here's your push. <laughs> Step in. It is good and godly work. And we have families in our church stepping in and killing it. Talk to them about it. They would love to share the joys and trials and the pathways of doing that. We are to be in the work of restoration and to flipping our city upside down. That our city looks at us and says, I do not know what we would do without you. But we're also in the renewal work that we don't just want the city and community fixed and healed. We want to see made new by the gospel of Jesus. That means we are ambassadors for Jesus, spreading his good news throughout the world. Lyle's going to talk about this in the next three weeks, but we're on a mission that we have the gospel message of a resurrected king, and people need it. So where you work, where you play, where you rest, and where you go eat, there's people all around you that do not know Jesus. There's neighbors all around you that do not know Jesus. Listen, if all the disciples did upon meeting the resurrected king is look and see Jesus and have a Bible study for the rest of their life, you and me would not be Christians. No, they're, they're seeing the resurrected Jesus. They're experiencing the holes in his hands led to a mission that cast across the world. There are people you encounter every single day that at the, upon the Lord's return or in their passing, their hope would not be in Jesus. So let us not be okay with just being healed. Let us be renewed in renewing this entire world. Sharing the gospel, showing the gospel, serving people to the gospel, inviting people to church to hear the gospel. A couple weeks ago, we had baptism Sunday. We baptized seven people. It's probably more people than we've baptized ever on a Sunday morning. 
And, but my prayer is that that becomes the norm, not the exception. But by, by empowered by the Spirit of Christ and with the gospel of Christ, we go renewing this world with the message of Jesus that he is risen and we have that resurrection power in sharing the good news. Will we go? Will we go? The resurrection has changed everything for us. It gives us hope. It turns our, our anger into the, to joy. But the reality is it's going that way anyway. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 says, Behold, they will be his people and he will be their God. There will be, he will wipe away all their tears and there will be no more death and no more mourning. And behold, he said to the people, I am making all things new. He's coming again. He's going to restore all things that are broken, but he's going to make it new that we don't even need a son. It's happening. It's going to happen. So in your suffering or in your, in your pain, you may not meet that healing until you see Jesus face to face. But it's happening. We're headed that way. The question is, will we take part? Will we go?